Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning on this Witness Wednesday, the 21st of April, 2021. The jury has rendered its verdict in the trial of former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin. Uh, The jury found him guilty on all counts related to his involvement and responsibility for the death of George Floyd. I want to make three observations this morning, and then I want to remind us of uh, the ABCs. So... Um, My three observations, um, first of all, we have a rule of law. We are a nation of of laws and of order, and no one is above the law in this land. We also have a system of justice in which everyone receives due process, and that due process is still um, in process. And there has been a trial by a jury of, um, of Derek Chauvin's peers, And so we want to talk about the point in time where we find ourselves, but we also want to talk about the process that we are in, not only in this one case, but the process we are in as a people. My second observation is that lots of our fellow citizens participated and are participating in this process. Um, There are a lot of what I would describe as very average Americans who who stopped uh, on May the 25th, 2020, and sought to intervene. Some called 911. Um, Some raised vocal opposition to what was happening. At least one offered to assist officers in uh, in the care of George Floyd. Um, At least one person recorded what was happening. They all then came forward and testified to what they witnessed outside of uh, the Cub Foods in, um, in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota. Millions of people then protested in cities across the country and around the world. Um, Millions more watched the video, made their own judgments, started conversations in their own churches and communities. Churches sought to respond. um, And over the course of the past year, the justice system gathered evidence, brought charges, and presented a case to another dozen very average Americans who took the civic responsibility seriously to serve as the jury of Derek Chauvin's peers in this case. And today, that portion of the process has concluded. But my third observation is this. I don't think it's accurate to describe it as over. Uh, There will likely be a number of objections raised by the defense. There will be appeals. Um, Two months from now, Derek Chauvin will be sentenced. And at all levels of, of governance, from the U.S. Congress to the most local of police stations, substantive conversations are taking place about racism and reform. And all of those conversations and those parts of the process are still in motion. 
And those same conversations, I would argue, need to be taking place at our dinner tables and in our churches and in our spheres of influence. Real people are really suffering real trauma. And um, as God's people in this culture, our concern must rise to the occasion of the day. So here are the quick ABCs. First of all, um, let me call us all to active awareness, active engagement, active advocacy. Ask questions and listen to people talk about their experience of all of this. How did you experience um, this last year in relationship to George Floyd and Derek Chauvin? How are you experiencing this day and where we are in this process? So that's the A. Awareness, activation, advocacy, asking questions. Number two is build genuine relationships with people who are not like you. Be willing to learn and see the world through a perspective other than your own. I totally stole that from Transform Minnesota. So there you go. Build genuine relationships with people who are not like you. And then number three is, or C, ABC, uh, is commit to change. Commit to change at a personal, interpersonal, community, institutional, and national level. Um, Commit to it and then follow through. And then I would add a D because I think that D is where most of us uh, sort of have a slip and fall here. Do not settle back in. Do not settle back in. Do not like, you know, check the mental box in your mind and say, all right, well, we did that and now we can move on. No, no. Do not divert your attention from this. Do not neglect to follow through. Do not allow yourself to imagine that the outcome of this one trial has accomplished the necessary transformation of human hearts or the experience of black and brown people in this country. There's a lot of work to do. And it begins with the acknowledgement that every human being is created in the image of God, no matter the color of their skin, the nation of their origin, the particularity of their sin, or the circumstance of their life. Everyone is an image bearer of the living God. And so let us as believers in Jesus turn toward this conversation today, not away from it. The issues are, in fact, not as black and white as they may seem to you at any given moment. All right, let's continue this conversation in just a moment with uh, Dr. Walter Strickland from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's up next on Mornings with Carmen. Joining me now, Dr. Walter Strickland from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Walter, welcome back. Thanks for having me again. So I'm just going to um, ask a wide open question. Um, would you just reflect with us on just your own experience of this American life and where we are today? Wow, that's, <laughs> yeah, I'd love to, but that's, that's such a, even as you ask the question, I'm still trying to figure out how to process all the emotions mm-hmm. I'm processing at the moment. Um, and I'm, I'm truthfully, I'm kind of shaking a little bit as I'm even answering the question because mm-hmm. there's such a, a confluence of emotions that, that I'm experiencing now, you know, the, there's the, the, um, one, I, I, I do think that justice was served, um, yesterday, you know, and, and I agree also at the same time that, you know, this process of, 
trying to ensure that our systems are working in such a way that they are equal for all people it's, it's still an ongoing process mm-hmm. and so uh my my prayer and my hope is is that we say hey you know because we got this one right then we can just um you know not continue to um push forward and and asking you know tough questions but then but then i'm also thinking you know uh some might hear me say that and think that i want to destroy you know due process or completely flip it inside out and that's not what i'm saying either so i don't want to be misheard on that front as well mm-hmm. but then i also know that you know um even as we are thinking about the the verdict and as as exciting as it might be for you know not ex- I shouldn't say exciting or because that's a, that's a bad term but as um as basically what I'm Satis- trying to say is that maybe satisfying maybe I I do think people are satisfied with yeah them. yeah so I, I I do think that's a good that's a good way to say it because satisfied but particularly with the verdict as you said but that satisfaction with the verdict doesn't bring Mr Floyd back to his dinner table you know, mm-hmm. the last night. And so, so there's this, so there's this understanding that, you know, man's justice is not perfect, but God's justice is there's, there's uh, which doesn't, you know, leave Mr. Chauvin as a, in a place where he can never, you know, uh, understand who Christ is as, as his savior, you know, and, and those sorts of things. So anyway, I, I, I know that I'm <laughs> usually I'm far more articulate, I think than I am right now, but this is sort of bespeaks the, the, the the ways in which that this has been so tough for me and and you know to to, to watch and in fact um i have i there this is a moment where there was so many emotions going on that i didn't watch the play-by-play of the trial um mm-hmm. I, I would i would just be watch little <clears throat> i would get little um updates and i would make sure i knew what was going on but i i didn't watch lots of coverage because my heart was just so heavy, not only for the Floyd family, not only for Derek Chauvin, but also for our country in a world that was watching this and the potential for all the fallout that could happen in light of whatever, especially a, a, not, a not guilty verdict. I was just bracing for that, knowing that in cities around the country, they were boarding up buildings you know, and boarding up businesses just because of the possibility that there might be a not guilty verdict and then what that what that means and as if that was going to you know reverse the the verdict and so there's there's all of these things that are just uh so pregnant in my own soul and it was just really hard to take to be honest with you and in fact i'm still trying to put the pieces together and i might start journaling tonight which i've never journaled before in my life just so i can get some of these ideas on paper and start to try to make sense of them Walter, that's so um, it's so help it's so helpful, um, just to process out loud because what you're uh, what you're helping all of us do is identify um, some explored, but probably for a lot of people, some unexplored parts of the conversation, um, and you're also giving us a window into a perspective that we may not share. Right, so I'm a white woman. I do not have the same lived experience in the United States of America that you have as a black man. And yet, you know, you are my brother in Christ and we are one in a way that the world will never understand. And we're going to spend eternity together. And um, and I love you. And so if if the concerns of your heart and the way that you are experiencing and processing this are not of concern to me, then there's something wrong in my heart. Um, and so thank you for your 
vulnerability and your transparency and for, I mean, frankly, a willingness to have the conversation in public um, because I do think that this is what we need to do. We need to sit with each other and we just need to ask open-ended questions. How are you experiencing this? Because I don't know. My my social location is utterly different. And and yet, you know, as a as a sister in Christ, um I care deeply how my black and brown brothers and sisters are experiencing this. And so, um thank you for the conversation. Let's take a very brief break and then um, if you're willing, let's continue the conversation in just a moment. So you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm continuing my conversation with Dr. Walter Strickland. He is a professor at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Um, he also uh, uh, he also brings to this conversation the fact that he is a black man. Um, and we are just talking about uh, our experience right now as Christians in the United States of America and um, as people who uh, whose skin color is different. And so how are we experiencing things differently? Um, so, Walter, continuing the conversation, let's um, if it's OK with you, I'm going to really selfishly tee up a conversation um, that started last night in uh, in a church small group. Um, very, very precious young couple. Uh, he is African American. She is uh, Euro American. Um, so they are black and white, and they have just very recently um, had a, had a son. He's precious, um, and the reality of raising a brown boy is now heavy upon her. And I was wondering if you could speak to that. Yeah, which that's the that's a powerful moment of recognition that she experienced, and and in fact. Uh, I had that same moment in my own marriage because I'm African American. My, you know, my wife is Euro American, as you're saying, and uh, and it's it's a marked difference going from the earlier years of our marriage when, um, you know, I remember we were both watching TV and we were we saw images of the body of Mike Brown in the road. Uh, I was devastated, and it's not devastated because I knew what happened in those moments. I'm not. I wasn't devastated. I mean, I just. I saw a man dead, a young man dead on the ground. And my my response was very different than my wife's. But then now, as we are now raising an African-American son, she now sees him in a Mike Brown. Not that they're the same person, but they're just this sort of like a recognition that, oh my goodness, this is the reality that we're living in. You know, the, you know and so the, the, the fact is, is that, you know, that was a very difficult reality for her. And it's almost as if she was seeing the world through my eyes, you know, for the, for the first time. And so it's, it's, it's really interesting to see folks who uh, have had, you know, very little fear of certain things, but when they're stepping into a different experience, as you're saying, as they're listening, as they're walking through the, uh, seeing the world through the lens of somebody else, those realities begin to become their own or those fears become, begin to become their own because they're really walking in that pathway, uh, you know, down that sort of experience because they're now married to somebody who's African-American. And so this is, that, that was a, that was, it's interesting to see my wife now as she looks out at the world and how it's been transformed because she's been so closely knit covenantally to me and now to our son and our, our son's three years old right now. 
And I was, I've been talking to friends who have uh, sons and daughters who are of color, who are uh, eight and 10 and 16. And, and I'm, I, my heart's break, it breaks for them because they're trying to figure out how to explain what's going on in the world to those children. And the reality is that my, my hope is to keep my children as innocent as possible for as long as possible. So they can hope all things, believe all things, you know, and the list goes on of, you know, of what love does. But the fact is, is that at some point they begin to look around, they begin to see the realities around us. They begin to see how the world is responding to certain stories and how people are being talked about. And, you know, we have to be able to explain those things. And so parenting is definitely one of those areas where this gets even more complicated because on the one hand, we want to prepare our kids for the world in which we live in, which is one where there is, you know, a, a bit more suspicion, you know, for a Brown kid. Uh, you know, it, it just, it just seems to bear that self out that, that out statistically, it seems to, there just seems to be, even in my own experience, I'd be remiss if I didn't, you know, tell my son that that's the case, but at the same time, time trying not to make him suspicious of every person who is not like him as well. And, and that's just a, a very, very difficult line to walk. Uh, I'm grateful that I had parents who did it well, but it's definitely a challenge as we're trying to uh, have children raise them in the fear and the, in the admonition of the Lord. And as we're trying to uh, help them to look at the world, you know, and not see every officer as the officer who had his uh, knee on George Floyd's neck. And so it's, that's a, that's a very tough, tough uh, road to hoe. And to my brothers and sisters out there who are, who are not African-American, who are not uh, Brown in your pigmentation, you can, you can help somebody in this. You can be the body of Christ to somebody. You can help bear that burden, even though you haven't, you don't have that same burden. You can actually help bear it. Pray for them. Send them scripture passages. Love them. Listen to them, as we've already talked about. There's so much that you can even do to help them, you know, bear that burden that seems unbearable at times, because this is such an important aspect of this that often gets overlooked. How do we raise our children well in the midst of all this crisis? So I find myself wondering, um, Walter, you know, like, because I, um, I, I at least have contact with you in this way, not fair to say that I know you well, um, but like, I'm wondering, you know, is it, it, could it be a blessing and benefit to my friend um, to put her in touch with your wife, right? Because the shared experience, because the journey walked, because the, the person who is ahead of us um, can often be so helpful, and then are those the kinds of connections that someone like me who isn't in either position, uh, but I am in a position to make the connection between the two people? Yeah, Carmen, I think that's that, that kind of a connection is wonderful. And I, I think that, that those connections will go a long way, sort of utilizing our, our network, you know, you know, for each mm -hmm. for, you know, on behalf of each other. But then also one thing I don't want you to do is to discount your own encouragement mm. in that moment. You know, even the Lord Jesus, he didn't experience everything, but he was able to empathize with all people. He was able to, you know, um, bear, bear others' burdens, you know, so to speak, to use that biblical language, mm -hmm. even though he hadn't experienced all things. And so what, what, what I, in our, in our world that seems very sort of identity oriented, you know, yes, there is some sort of uh, camaraderie and experience that, that my wife and that woman will have. 
but also, you know, the, the Bible is very clear that, you know, as a family, we still can help each other along in very real ways, even if I haven't experienced that exact same thing. So, so I think it's more of a both end than a, than a one or the other. Amen. That's such a good word. All right. We have a, um, we have a listener who's texted in and I just want to share this with you. Um, uh, he says it's challenging for mixed race families in America. People try to put us in one box or the other rather than allowing us to just be both. In many other countries, it's easier to be both. And so I tell my kids they have two deep wells to drink from and it's okay to drink from both. I love that. And, and mm-hmm. I just got chills as as I read uh, that read that listener's words uh, as you were saying them, because, you know, it, it is, it is one of those issues. I mean, kind of, like I said earlier, we, we are so identity focused, it, you know, we, people have to choose who they're going to be. It's like, well, my kids live in a home where we are listening to, um, you know, uh, gospel music. And then we're also listening to, you know, the Gettys <laughs> and it's back to back. And so, and, and they gain, and I gain uh, encouragement from Travis Green uh, and David Crowder, you know, at the same time. And so, uh, it, and that's one of those moments where, you know, I do feel like I'm also being forced to uh, only drink from one well. But the fact is, is that there are multiple that we can clean from. And, and then I think that we have to even raise our kids to be very uh, confident in who they are in Christ. And hopefully my, my kids will uh, come to know Jesus as their Savior. There are all three of them are very young, but uh, confident with who, with their identity, their primary identifying marker as being a child of the King, and then say these two cultures that my parents have grown up in are both sources of strength uh, as they are pleasing to the Lord. And so I, I do appreciate that 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 comment from from that listener. Walter, thank you so much, as always, for joining us. Um, we will we will cir- circle back around to other conversations as well, but thank you for your willingness to have this conversation today. Thank, thank you again for having me. Absolutely. That's Dr. Walter Strickland. You can find him at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. we got to take a brief break, and then we'll be right back. It's been a rising tide of violence across the United States in just the last few days. Um, We're going to talk with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News about the United States weekend shooting spree. We're also going to talk about headlines out of Chad and Bangladesh. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. What's your perspective on discipline? Are you trying to uphold the rules? or keep your kid from getting hurt. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Think of it this way. Discipline is helping your child get to a place where they want to be and keeping them from a place where they don't want to end up. Before you get embroiled in a blowout with your teen, make a plan ahead of time. It'll help you keep your cool and stay focused on the goal. Don't lose sight of the underlying purpose. Remember, Discipline is helping your child get to a place where they want to be and keeping them from a place where they don't want to end up. There's more from Mark Gregston on the Parenting Today's Teens website. Get helpful tips for moms and dads when you visit ParentingTodaysTeens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store.
Joining me now, Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can read the articles we're going to discuss today at missionnews.org. Ruth, welcome back. Good morning. How are you? I am I am well. I am well. Thank you. Are you well? I am now. <laughs> <laughs> Had a few side effects from the uh, second shot of the vaccine the other day. All right. Well, you have recovered. We're thankful for that. Appreciate Appreciate you joining us. Let's um, let's lead off with um, a new article that uh, that you guys have posted at Mission News, and that is um, that the headline that I'm reading is "U.S. suffers weekend shooting spree." Uh, folks may be familiar with a particular headline or two, but um, man, this weekend has been uh, really brutal. Well, yeah, I mean, we've seen, what, six shootings over the the weekend uh, from uh, six different states. So we're talking Ohio, Nebraska, Louisiana, um, Texas, uh, you know, d- to name just some of them off the top of my head here. Um, and then we also saw some other shootings that were taking place with random violence. Uh, I say random violence. It was not a mass shooting, not more than um, one person, but different things that were happening in public uh, as opposed to like uh, gang related issues. And, and these were related to more domestic violence issues. One of the situations that we're looking at, um, you know, is is that you can't really define these kinds of shootings uh, under a lump sum. Um, each one has different circumstances and causes, but we were really concerned about um, what this reveals about state of mind uh, because people are very concerned about this um, m- kind of effect on mental health, on the mental health of a country that's already struggling with mental health in light of the pandemic and all of these other issues that have uh, really kind of borne fruition uh, in anger. Um, and so we spoke with Sammy Tippett from Sammy Tippett Ministries because he's he's an evangelist and um, he's been working uh, with a global picture more recently. But one of the things we wanted to ask him is how can we respond to these kinds of stories in the United States, you know, without really taking the political view on stuff? What do we do with this? And he was just basically saying, yeah, you know, we're seeing that pattern of anger erupting across the nation. Um, we can take the lead as followers of Christ and say, I'm going to be one, part of the solution rather than part of the problem. I'm going to be a peacemaker. We need to do what Scripture says, uh, and and that is to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And what does that take? Um, it means that we need to be more familiar with God's Word. One of the things Sammy Tippett does is provides resources to help people get more familiar with God's Word, and he helps lead people in how to pray and understanding what part of worship that all leads into. So he's encouraging us as a body to pray for a work of the Holy Spirit in the U.S. because it's obvious we are in desperate need of revival. Um, it, there's really not much more that we can go into. I mean, when you you lay it at the feet of revival and you think about everything that that it takes as we watch the story of Israel, as we watched, you know, all of the different things throughout the history of the Old Testament and the New Testament, what does revival take? And um, that's what he's saying. We just pray for revival and ask God to open opportunities for you to be part of that, um, you know, whether it's through the, the revelation of what he shows you as you study God's word, or if it's something he puts to mind that you can, you can be praying more earnestly about. Um, stay involved with what's going on around you so you know how to pray into these issues and, and find ways to be a peacemaker. Don't be a peacekeeper. Look for ways to be a peacemaker. We talk about um, being a peacemaker. I, I guess I'm one of the things that I'm thinking about is, you know, how 
how to de-escalate a situation. And, you know, Jesus comes to mind, which is good, right? So, you know, Peter Peter sees a situation where he thinks that drawing his, swor- his sword and uh, and striking out in anger uh, in a defensive posture is the way to go forward. And Jesus is like, dude, put your sword back. Um, you know, that's not, that's not who I am. That's not how we're going to do this. Uh, and then, you know, this, in this act of healing, Jesus actually restores, um, the other person. Um, I, I do think that Christians need some active equipping on, on de-escalation. Like we need to know how to regain control of ourselves and we need to know how to, communicate dispassionately but compassionately in situations to help others de-escalate when, you know, when there is a loss of control in a situation. That is probably the crux of the issue. How do we um, de-escalate, remove ourselves from Mm -hmm. taking things personally in a situation? Uh, You know, when you have an, an issue that has brought tension and emotional distress to it. It is very easy to lose control of your tongue. Mm-hmm. And maybe one of the things we need to do, aside from modeling the peace in, uh, of Jesus in this time of fear and anger, is to ask God to give us, to, to help us control that, you know, help us con- to control the tongue, which is such a, it, it's a tool and it's a weapon. And too many times I think we fall on the side of being careless with it and uh, not being mindful of what's coming out of our mouths. Yeah, I, um, I'm i looking at a list here from from a friend. Um, I We were talking about volunteering to just do ride-alongs with our local police, like, right? Because they, you know, right now, you know, we, we can talk about reforming things or, you know, or, or adding uh, non police presence on calls. But until that happens, like somebody's got to step up and say, yeah, I'll go along. Um, you know, but the reality is there's some restrictions on who can do that and how they need to be prepared to do that and those kinds of things. And it led to this conversation about in I am really good at helping to deescalate a situation if I'm not the target of the um, of the energy, let's say, of the negative mm-hmm. energy. But if I'm the target of the negative energy, it's really hard for me to be the person who de-escalates the situation. And so we need to be people who are willing to step into um, situations where things are escalating between other people because neither one of those people that's in the heat of it is probably in a position to de-escalate it. And that's the, I think that might be the hardest part, Ruth, is that like that means that we have to step into it with other people. Well, and and I think uh, in too many communities, when you see a a situation that's escalating, you see that tension, uh, most of us would rather back away from it and not be drawn into it because sometimes the innocent bystander gets hurt too. Um, Or we'd rather not expend the energy or you'd rather just keep the peace rather than make the peace. And I I think Mm. um, we as uh, followers of Christ are really called to make a difference. If Jesus makes that big a difference in our lives, and it's and it's a complete worldview change, how do we um, exhibit that in a community uh, outside of our comfort zones? Yeah, my sister just texted. She's like, "The only reason you think that's a good idea is you're not a conflict avoider." So there you go. All right. So thanks. 
Thanks, Tiana. Uh, you're right. Okay, so Ruth Kramer and I are going to continue a conversation in just a moment. We're actually going to pivot. We're going to look at some international headlines. Um, Ruth, will you help us turn our attention to Chad? My guess is most people know nothing about the story we're about to talk about. Yes, definitely. All right. Fantastic. We're going to turn our attention to the nation of Chad and what's going on there. You can read the article at missionnews.org. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. Um, Ruth, uh, tell us about what is happening in the nation of Chad. Well, one of the things that is unique about Chad is that it is sort of the the point of stability in Central Africa. Um, so they have experienced a lot of, um, I want to say, stability in in a time when the countries around them are experiencing great instability. Uh, and the president actually just won his sixth term in office last week. Uh, I should say. Um, I think the 11th is when when he actually won the the election, um, marking and then that would mark his 30th year in power. You know, once he would take office, it would be his 30th year in power. And he decided it would be a good idea to go to the front lines of where there is a rebel insurgency, and uh, you know, scope out actually what's happening. He's he's a he's got a military background, and so he was really heading out there to kind of give a an attaboy. I'm going to be in this with you. We're in the trenches together. And he was actually killed as a result of being in that conflict. So um, now you have a power vacuum in a country that has had a very strong president for three decades. And the power vacuums are never good because you just don't know what it's going to lead to in terms of who's going to vie for power. At this point, the Transitional Military Council uh, has stepped in and said they're going to run the country for the next 18 months until the next election, and they have appointed uh, the president, Idris Deby's son, to head the country up uh, as as the uh, the head of state. Now, that's causing a few issues because, technically speaking, the Constitution says that the prime minister should step in. So there's already some conflict between the military council and what the Constitution says and their parliament and all of this extra stuff that's happening. And um, at the same time, the rebels that they were fighting are vowing to take advantage of the chaos that's happening with this uh, this gap in power and to take the capital. Uh, so they're threatening a... Uh, a very definitive military move to try to take over. And just that risk of instability puts a lot of issues uh, with the war on terror, the counterterrorism efforts throughout West Africa at risk. So you can see where this is starting to shape up to be a situation where um, our partners are are really sounding the call for prayer. Um, our partner is Christian Aid Mission, and they partner with ministries throughout the country. So they're hearing from uh, all of their partners that are just kind of expressing the same note of concern, and that is the uncertainty of what's going to be happening. They are asking for prayer for continu- continued stability because what happens in Chad next will have a direct impact on so much of the continent. Um, so they're praying for wisdom because in this context, a lot of the Christians are um, very worried about what's going to happen in the near future. They're worried about um, the potential for disruption in ministry. They want to have wisdom to know how to lead their people through crisis, pray for protection and for safety. Um, the the 
good news right now, and this is just right now, is it doesn't seem like the rebels are very interested in persecuting Christians at all. Um, so let's pray it stays that way, even as we pray for stability. The one thing that we wanted to note here is that President Debbie was a person who was very friendly to Christians. So that protection is gone now, and we don't know really what's going to happen. Given everything that the country is um, is surrounded by, the extremist groups that they're surrounded by, you've got Boko Haram from the Lake Chad Basin and groups linked to Al-Qaeda and Daesh in the Sahel, you have a lot of potential threat at the border. And um, there's just a lot of um, of the militants that are trying to stir up public discontent over the issues of wealth and crackdowns on the opponents and the pandemic fallout. So it's it's a perfect storm of um, it, the storm hasn't launched yet, but you can see the clouds gathering on the horizon. And our partners are just asking us to pray with them for the stability of their country and also for gospel opportunities, because even as the uncertainty is worrying, um, they want to be bold in the proclamation of the hope and peace of Jesus Christ. All right, Ruth, I um, I was very intrigued by this next story. Uh, if you guys go to missionnews.org, I want you to read this one. New Farms Program, F-A-R-M-S, all caps, New Farms Program Answers a Pastor's Prayers. Um, this, uh, Pastor William, his story is, um, is well, his story is i think unique for for believers in this country who really can't even imagine having grown up in another faith tradition um and then being you know sort of left to pastor a congregation a newly planted church um so quickly after becoming a believer so just talk with us about this story and then the, this incredible answer to this one pastor's prayer Sure. Well, the context is this story is happening in Bangladesh, and Bangladesh is primarily Islamic. Um, so to leave Islam and follow Christ is uh, considered a, an act of apostasy, and that means you've got a target painted on your back. Uh, the, the percentages of evangelicals that we know of, according to the Joshua Project, in Bangladesh is less than half a percent. Uh, so when you have um, someone who is boldly proclaiming the name of Christ, planting a church, um, they're going to be on the fuzzy end of that lollipop. And in 2015, Pastor William was started getting death threats from the Islamic, the Islamic State. So he fled the country because um, he was trying to make sure he was around to fight another day, basically. Um, and that means, though, that his church was left untended, and terrorists actually killed a leader from his church shortly after he fled the country. And he stayed in touch with them and tried to continue to uh, connect them with other believers in the country, try to network uh, and work with uh, partnering so that his church wouldn't be just left standing by itself. Somewhere along the line, he met some representatives from Farms International. And the neat thing about the ministry there is that they do things to enable the church to take care of itself, so it would be like, yeah, you can feed, you give a you can give a guy a fish and feed him for a day, or you can teach him how to fish, and then he'll feed himself for a lifetime, and that's what farms is really focused on doing. So they do micro enterprise through the church, and um, they wind up like you know helping to uh, give you seed money for small businesses, or in some cases, um, they'll provide the resources and tools to be able to plant a small farm. And as you learn how to 
grow the land or do husbandry or any of the things that uh, they're trying to encourage with microenterprise, the, the proceeds are sold. And then from the profits of that business, you tithe to the church. So the church becomes self-supporting. And the thing that is interesting about this is Pastor William had been praying for a long time for the, the the church that he was helping, the network he was working with, for the pastors he was trying to uh, disciple. And he knew that it was a challenge for them to be able to feed themselves, to be able to really support themselves because of the issues of persecution and discrimination in Bangladesh. When Farms decided to open this new program, it was an answer to prayer uh, that Pr Pastor William had been praying for like 15 years. So what he's excited about is to see how this program is going to come in and support and encourage the body of Christ. And also because they're providing goods to the services to the community, it will allow them to have more inroads into the community where they'll be able to not only bless the community, but also live as the hands and feet of Christ. So Farms International is engaged in, in Bangladesh, in Cuba, Haiti, Moldova, uh, Nagaland in India, the Philippines, and Thailand. Um, and if you want more information directly about them, you can check it out at farmsinternational.com. The article that Ruth and I are um, are reading from and uh, and lifting from is posted at missionnews.org. New Farms Program Answers a Pastor's Prayers. It's a good, it's a really good news story about the networking of God's people around the globe. And um, and let's be praying for Pastor William today uh, and and so many like him around the world. Ruth, as always, thank you so much for um, for bringing us the news from a Christian perspective, letting us know what's happening with our brothers and sisters around the world. Thank you. Really appreciate it. All right. We got to take one more brief break and then we'll be right back. All right. Um, one of you has asked, hey, are there some pointers on de-escalating a situation? Um, yeah, here are a few. First of all, you got to establish direct, calm communication. Like, that's essential. Um, don't don't add stress. Like, you're there to de-stress. Um, so don't try to restrain the person. Avoid sort of coercive interventions. Um, what you're doing is you're encouraging that individual to regain control of their own behavior. Ask a lot of questions. Uh, ask open-ended questions. Seek to understand. Listen carefully, um, not with a focus on responding, but just on a focus on understanding, you know, what's going on in their heart and in their head. Speak respectfully. Identify positive options. Remain optimistic. Speak succinctly and simply. Use really short sentences um, and pray continuously. Part of the goal is to allow other people to move to places of safety and just simply to take some energy, to some steam um, out of the situation. All right, guys, we got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.